Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books and subsequently each of our careers went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a big five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. Uh, so... I, we, Sunny and I had, had written down a whole bunch of questions we wanted to ask before this. And as you both were running through your story, I wrote down more. Is everybody okay if we launch into kind of a, a Q&A style, go back and dig into Do the story? Do we have story to like, and, get a and, buzzer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe, that one. I don't know. No, yeah. If, if Not want the P clause. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. That that was actually yes, one thing I wanted to go into. Yes, we are very interested in that. <laughs> um, Sunny, do you want to start or, or do you want me to go into the list? How, how do you want to roll with this? Uh, we can start with the non-compete because actually I think that's top yeah. of our list. We were interested in the changes that you made to the Orbit contract, oh. which Scott's written defanged the non-compete to the point yeah. that you still had flexibility because... Uh, I won't go into it very much, but I do chafe a little bit under my non-competes. <laughs> and uh, just interested in any wisdom on that side of it. We should begin with the, uh, okay. the introduction okay. via Brian. So, so how, so how much time do we? Okay, so whatever you need, as much no. as you want. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go. No, no, nothing gets me angrier than the non-compete clause. When we've got our first contract and we saw the first contract, we were like. You're, you're, this is a joke, right? Joke, like life of copyright, you know, like non-compete clause. You will go on tour if we tell you you have to. Uh, no, this is a joke. And my agent is like, no, this is the way all contracts are. I'm like, nobody sign, nobody would sign this. And they said, yeah, they do because that's all they are. And she actually put me in contact with a IP attorney. And the IP attorney literally pulled contracts from all the houses. Here's a Penguin Random House contract and read their non-compete clause. And here's one from Macmillan. And here's their non-compete clause. And here's one from Hachette. And here's their non-compete clause. They said they're all there. Everyone signs them. It's how you do business. Our non-compete clause said, the author, the author shall not nor allow others on his behalf to write any book that may compete monetarily with this book. Under, with it during the term of this contract. And like, so Michael cannot write any book that might injure the sales of this book for the rest of his life and then 70 years after he's dead. Which is when I was really gonna come out and do it. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, any book is going to compete. This is fiction. Are you saying we can't do prequels? We can't do sequels? We can't do fantasy? We can't do fiction? What do you mean? I don't understand. And I, I talked to my agent. My agent's like, that's the standard. That's that's the way it is. Everyone signs that. I said, they, well. They, they never exercise it, dear. Well, and that's what she said. It she gives said, them well, the option you know, too, right? She said, yeah. she said, 
it's in every contract. Nobody, nobody ever calls anyone on it, but it's in there. I'm like, I cannot have that dagger well, over my head. Well, we just said, well, it's great. Well, if no one ever uses it, Smart. then let's just get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, what's Kill the point? Yeah. So, so yeah. for six months, I fought this. And my agent said, you must sign the contract. And I'm like, I will not sign the contract. And they're like, and then I was on forums and I was talking to people on forums about the non-compete clause. I'm like, how do you traditionally published authors do this? How do you sign these contracts? And this person wrote back to me and they said, are you telling me that your husband is going to walk away from a six-figure contract because of the non-compete clause? And I'm like, absolutely. And they said, you're an idiot. What if the publisher sees this? I said, will you please write the publisher and show them this? Because this is not a negotiating ploy. This is a fact. We will not sign the contract. Now, Orbit had already done the copy editing. They had already done the covers. They had already had the books in pre-release. There was no contract signed. They'd already spent tens wow. of thousands of dollars and there was no contract signed, right? So long story short, I finally said, okay, we have to get this defanged. And so what I told them was, I will not put out any self-published book within a window of time, three months before your books and three months after your books. That's number one, okay? Because I understand you're gonna be doing marketing and that seems fair to me that I'm not jumping on your marketing dollars and usurping it. I'm fine with that. So that's the first clause I put in. But then I said, we have to define what this non-compete is. Now, in a fiction, in a non-fiction world, I understand what non-compete would mean, right? Because like if I was a cybersecurity person and I wrote Macmillan a book on cybersecurity, they would be very upset if I then went over to Penguin Random House and wrote another cybersecurity book that had basically the same type of information in there because those books compete. In fiction, they should have no place. I'm sorry, they should not exist. So we had them define that a competing work was any work that had 90% of the words in this book in the same order. Wow. Which I'm like, you got that clause, you got that in clause one. When you bought the book, you got that. So that's how we defamed the non-compete. Now here's the really funny thing about the non-compete. Years later, Orbit bought the non-dramatic audio rights. And the dramatic audio rights, by my reading the contract, were were good and they they belong to us and we had started doing some books with uh, a company called graphic audio and they had us in the studio doing some promotional stuff and this was for the the legends of the first empire series and i said you know i'm really surprised that you've never approached us about the rayir revelations because it's a very popular series and it's what michael's most mm -hmm. known for and they said oh we approached you but your agent said um you know those rights are not available and i'm like well, I don't know where my agent's smoking, but those rights are totally available. I said, send me a contract and I'll sign it tomorrow. Or I'll have Michael sign it. Um, <laughs> that would be good. You know? Same thing. And, and, and they're like, and so then I call my agent. I'm like, agent, what are you smoking? You know, the, look at the contract. It says clearly they own non-dramatic audio rights. They said, well, yeah, but that's not the problem. I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, it's the non-compete. And I thought about it. I was like, Oh, you know what? You're right. That would be about ninety percent. You know, about ninety percent of the words in the same order. Blah 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 blah. And I was so excited because I was like, I dare them. I dare them to try and tell me that I don't have these rights because 
subsequent to that, like years later, I started studying certain things about non-compete. So all the contracts are written in New York. New York is a right to work state. In a right to work state, you can have a non-compete clause, but it has to be limited in scope and limited in distance. Duration. Duration. Yes, sorry, scope and duration. So if you were selling uh, golf course memberships in, in uh, Newark, New Jersey, a non-compete clause could say, for a period of six months after leaving our establishment, you cannot sell any golf course memberships within 15 miles of our golf course. That's a perfectly legal non-compete. Short term, six months, small scope, 15. Our non-competes for life of copyright and for the entire world do not qualify under either one of those. So the bottom line is, folks, your non-compete clauses are 100% illegal. There's also this little part in the contract that says if any version of this contract should be deemed uh, uh, unlawful, that con that portion of the contract will be stricken, but the rest of the contract remains in force. Almost as if they knew what was Almost there. as if they knew that <laughs> they completely are, are doing something illegal, right? So now I have the chance to go up against them and like take to court non-compete, and I'm going to strike down non-compete for fiction writers around the world, and I'm just so happy. And if I don't have enough money to do it, I will do a GoFundMe, and I will get the best lawyer minds, and I will go to court, and I will feel like my life had meaning. But before I did that, I said, I blew it. Mike says, well, before you start getting all riled up, you really need to write Orbit and ask them, because, so the agent, the agent asked Orbit, and Orbit said, no, you do not have those rights. And my statement was, to the agent was, they don't get to determine who has those rights. A court of law determines who has those rights, right? And the agent's like, well, we don't want to get involved in this. You know, we will not get involved in this. And that's why we said no, that they couldn't have the rights. I said, well, I'll get involved. And so I, just like when we got a movie offer, one of the things you have to do is you have to write your publisher and say, you know, publisher, I need a piece of paper that comes from you that says you have the legal right to exercise this particular right. Even though it says so in the contract, that's not good enough. You need the piece of paper that says, yes, I, the publisher, agree that you have those rights. Hmm. So I asked for the piece of paper, just hoping for them to say, well, I'm sorry, due to your non-compete clause, uh, you don't have that right. Unfortunately, they came back and said, oh, sure, you have those rights. Go ahead and sell them wherever you want. And I was very upset. So, <laughs> so non-compete clause I despise. And I know you guys probably have them in your contracts. And yeah. I'm sorry you do. But, but if any of you have any cojones, you know, like make them, make, 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 them, make them take you to court. I've always seen publishers as being my employees. <laughs> probably not how most people see them. But that's how I see it. I tell them what I want them to do. If they don't do it, I go to someone yeah. else. It's very simple. So, so, so the other funny thing about this, okay, so it took me nine months to fight for this change in our thing. And I talk on forums all the time. And there was another Orbit author. And I was talking about non-competes and how terrible they were. And he's like, oh, my non-competes not so bad, you know. And, and my agent uh, had no trouble at all. Had no then. problem, like, defanging it. And I says, uh, I said, and what did they defang it to? And he read me like his thing. And he says, do you know why your contract says that? I says, because I spent nine months. That's exactly my wording. And I set a precedence. And because I set a precedence, now, yes, your, your 
agent can come back underneath me and, and get the same thing I got. I said, but here's the question. Is that what your non-compete looked like when it was sent to you? And he's like, no. So, so, they're, they're, still doing so they're still doing it. Bad publisher. Bad, bad, bad. So if we're going to do this for every yeah, question, I, I certainly hope you have a very long no, that, no, that, recording. No, that's really the longest one. Non-competes yeah. are my longest one. It's, I hate non-competes. But they're very scary. They're very, very, very scary. They were too scary for us. That's okay. I, I mean, I, I think we're we're here asking for the the information, right? And and you are both doing a, a great job of uh, educating us and illuminating. So, I I did have one comment there, and that is, Sunny, I'm not actually sure what your non compete looks like. I'm not sure whether we've compared, but at least mine. While not great that it exists, and you know it, it is a little scary to have one at all, it is not nearly as bad as what you're describing with that original wording. According to my reading of mine, it seems fairly harmless. You know, they they could threaten a lawsuit over it, but I don't know if it's just my agency or if it's pretty boilerplate now with tour and publishers generally but it is fairly specific to author can't write anything that competes with this, uh, but they can write, you know, the same characters in sequels and prequels, just not, you know, around the exact same time. But, 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 but what does compete mean? What does compete, define mm. compete? Because yeah, if I wrote ex another exactly. fantasy, doesn't that compete? Doesn't, doesn't Ryera compete with Legends of the First Empire, compete yeah. with the yeah. Rise and Fall series? I mean, they do in my mind. It's gotten to the point where it, 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 at least as far as I can tell, right, it's so vague and contradictory just with, I mean, it, the, the terms that are within that clause that they, you know, asked me to sign are themselves contradictory to the point that it probably wouldn't hold up, even if it wasn't, as you said, uh, not permissible. 100% illegal. Yeah, Wait. yeah, yeah. yeah. Even not, besides that's that, not yeah. That's the point. That's not the point. They don't sue authors they don't yeah. have to because yeah. authors won't do stuff no because, because they're afraid of it if you it's an intimidation yeah technique. they intimidate you they say listen you have to yeah. stop this because it's in your contract yeah. and 99 yeah. percent of all authors oh, will do that here's a great one <laughs> so sorry i'm gonna segue um one day mike's agent called me up and said orbit would like you to shut up online and I said, would they now? I said, and what made you think that you would ever transfer that information to me? Because you work for me, you don't work for Orbit. And, and in particular, what Orbit was upset about is I was exposing stupid things in their contract. I said, and if they don't want to be taken to task, stop putting stupid things in your contract. Right? Like, like if, if you don't, if you don't, behave badly i've got nothing to complain about you know and, oh man i was like i was mad at, at mike's agent for you don't ever tell me to be quiet about the injustices that's someone in my contract and then she went on to say she says well in your contract you have a non-disclosure agreement and you're not allowed to talk about what's in your contract i'm like really because i've read every inch of my contract and there is no non-disclosure agreement 
So they're telling you I have a non-disclosure agreement. You have the, the goddamn contract in front of you. Once you read it, there is no non-disclosure agreement. I can say whatever the hell I want to as I'm long as to. I'm not lying. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, here's the thing, right? Like, I already knew, I mean, I was already being treated poorly by Orbit, right? We were not going to be together long, <laughs> you know? So, like, you know, most authors won't say anything bad about their publishers, even when their publishers treat them badly because they're really afraid of not getting that next contract. Well, yeah, you have to understand. I am not, not afraid of but, not getting that next but contract. But you have to understand, there's only, at the time, there's only six publishers that were Five. In the, no, there were five. only six. No, it was, it was Big seven, Five then. It was Big Six when we first started. Then it went to Big Five, and now I don't know if it's a four or not. It's not quite it's, four, it's back but to five. working on it. But when there's that few places to go, you start thinking, well, you don't want to rock the boat. And the same is true for agents. They don't want to, they don't want to say anything either, because otherwise that's, that's one you know, fifth of their, you know, their, their potential income. Well, yep. yeah, and, and, yeah, and here's the thing, right? When my, when my agent said I had to sign that non-compete clause, right? Like, you know, like, who are you working for? You know, they say they're working for you, right? And they're getting their money from your money. But the reality is, at least in my mind, agents know, like, this is the very small band they can operate in with the publishers, right? And, like, as long as we're within that small band, like, we're okay. But we can't go outside that band, you know? Like, that's why everyone's getting the really crappy royalty rates. That's why... So, you know, they just kind of operate within this thing and they know that they can't go out with it. You know, like, ooh, they might be able to get you like non-joint accounting, woo you know, but try and get, try and get the limit raised for what is determined in print and out of print, right? Like mm -hmm. that level is so low, Mike's books will never go out of print. They just never will because, you know, as long as they're making $9 a week, they're in print, right? And if they ever get close to not making $9 a week, they'll buy $9 worth of books just to keep the contract in place, right? Sunny, I could see you wanting to jump in. Do you have something? No, no, I was just going to say that my, my non-compete is different from yours, but it's very specific to my situation and the fact that I'm on contract for three standalones and basically tore tied up the rights so that I cannot write a sequel or a prequel or anything affiliated with book eaters and submit it to them, and I cannot take it anywhere else. Um, and I understand that, why they but, made but doesn't that. that. But doesn't that suck? I mean, that sucks. It, it I mean, for me, yeah, effectively it does because because <laughs> if I if, yeah because look because well, if I could write a sequel, like if the first book did well, you could write a sequel and say, well, give me money for it, I'll take it elsewhere. But at the moment, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but I depend entirely on my publisher for the whole of my income, so I don't feel like I have leverage to argue at this stage. And I'm happy to write other things for now. <laughs> now. Remember when I told you how my later books in the series made more money in self-publishing than the earlier books in my series that were traditionally published? Mm -hmm. so I just want to mention that, you know. Here's an interesting tidbit which he would want to tell you about. Uh, when we went over to Del Rey, oh, God. Um, there was going to be a shift. Was it Del Rey? And we were going to have to not publish anything during mm -hmm. the time in which they were producing my books. Oh, Hold on, hold on. All right, I established this precedence with uh, my non-compete. By this time, we have a different agent. Made it very, very clear to this agent, this is our non-compete, right? This is what, 
if you're negotiating for us, this is the non-compete. You got to make sure the publisher knows this is the non-compete. This is the way it works. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we got the offer letter. And in the offer letter, there was some language in there that made me think that the publisher isn't thinking about the same non-compete that I'm thinking about, right? And, um, and, I, and the agent said, oh, no, no, no. That's just a problem in the publisher, in, in the offer letter. Trust me, we're all on the same page, you know, because Mike self-publishes. And, you know, like outside of that little window, he should be free to self-publish, you know? Uh, because think about this, right? Now, like, here's the other thing about these contracts, right? So you got a certain amount of time to turn in a book and legally they have like a certain period of time, like two years in which they have to get the book on the market. And if they don't, you can ask for rights reversion, right? Well, for us, for Mike not to have any books published in two years, that's a lot of downtime for him, right? So I will give you this window, but you know, outside of that window, you know, we can do what we want. So anyways, Long story short, the contract came in and Del Rey's, Del Rey's idea of the non-compete was much different than ours. And basically what they thought they were getting was that Michael would not write anything in the universe of Elan while their books were being published until after all their books were released. And I'm like, no, that is not the way this works. And uh, so the agent just like... Well, particularly like, when you understand that I was writing a six book series yeah. in total that would have been like a decade right and, and like i don't know how long it's going to take them to put out a book what if what if they take two years for every book and it was a four book series originally that's eight years that he can't do a book no that's that ain't going to cut it so the agent completely screwed up the thing and and so the agent's like well you know what do we do now and you know um and i said step out of the way I'm gonna to go to Del Rey and I'm gonna like fix this. So I said to Del Rey, I said, if Michael, I said, okay, so your first book is coming out June of next year. Would Michael be okay if he publishes something by December of this year? And they said, yes, that would be okay. Because that's before a contract. And I'm like, you'd be before a contract. I'm like, fine, okay. So that will get us this next book in the series. So that will happen. And I said, you know, and I said, well, and can you commit because these books are already written that they will come out you know, once a year, every year in June, July. Yes, we will commit to that. And, and I did a whole bunch of other finagling around and so forth. Pulled this dumpster fire from, you know, from, from the thing. So I called the agent. Agent, okay, it's all right. Got it fixed. We're not happy about it, but we can live with it. Um, now, I couldn't live with it because she, she came to me. She says, "Okay, you've got sixty-eight days to come up with an to, idea to write for a book, a, to write, write a book. it, and get <laughs> yeah. out the door." I was like, yeah. "Really? Good. Okay, okay." So I said, "Well, here's the deal, right?" And 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 the legwork I put in before this happened with the agent, like I made up this whole bio on Michael and all this thing on his sales and everything for when she shopped it around. I mean, I I did like, I handed her this packet that all she had to do was like hand it to the publishers on Michael, right? I said, okay, so here's the deal. I fixed this. But now, because I had to do all this stuff beforehand, because I did all this stuff afterhand, I want you to change your commission from 15% to 10%, because I'm gonna take 5% for all this work I did. And she's like, no, I get 15%. I said, okay, then we're gonna deal with door number two. Door number two is you will get 15% up to the advance of this, and you will not get a another cent past that. And you will never have another book of Michael's ever, and you'll never do any more business with us. 
So which do you want? Do you want door number one, 10% of everything? Or do you want 15% up to the advance and never see us again? And she says, I'll take door number two. And I said, fine. And that was great because now that's earned out and she's she's lost probably another Considering that the very next deal we did was the, was the seven-figure seven figure deal. deal. That was, yeah. that was unfortunate. Rough. I don't know how you we guys got can up. talk now. It's I don't okay. know, I don't we'll know how we got on no, now. Yeah, it's it's your show, we, for God's sake. We're sorry. Know, I don't know how no, don't worry. Don't be sorry. It's We, we let people kind of say their piece and, and we learn as much as, as anything else. So... Yeah, after yeah, you if, if we, it feels more like it's like the old people are talking again. My God, they're so lonely. <laughs> just make them stop. If if we want to talk, we just do our own episode with just us two. So I mean, <laughs> we're we're here to talk to you and and uh, you know learn from your many many years of exp- expertise and and going through all these things that we're just now trying to. Uh, navigate you know stumble through because <laughs> i mean a lot of these things that you've you've talked about that's the thing there's not much roadmaps out there right i mean you're just exactly. all kind of like we're yeah. all fumbling in the dark trying to figure out and it's not like the industry changes at all no i mean it's it really yeah. i mean well and, and well, that's that's a big no, part of why it's pretty much the same as but, but i mean there, there's so many differences that keep altering the fact that there's kindle unlimited there's no. people who will do book covers for you now yeah there's, but those contracts Oh, the contract, sure. The contracts look yeah. the same as they have for Well, we, when years. you're dealing with traditional publishers, nothing changes except maybe the inclusion of audio. Yeah, yeah the model is the same despite yeah. the changes in, you know, technology and whatever else. Yeah. And they, they certainly try to smush all of this expanding world and expanding possibilities into the same box. Um, and I, I, I think one of my primary takeaways from going through it myself and getting involved with other writers and learning what they're going through uh, that applies to your story is that whole uh, discussion we had early on uh, about editors and what editors do and uh, you know going with editors suggestions and the experience really does even within a publishing house it really does uh, depend greatly on the editor you get but you don't know necessarily, right? You don't know right. that person. There is no like vetting procedure. Often yeah. your your agent, if your agent's really good and has been around a long time, they can kind of give you uh, a high level view of maybe what that editor has done and, and their limited interactions with an editor. But most of the time, you know, you go into these things blind. And so yeah. knowing what other people have gone through is hugely valuable and you talking about uh you know pushing back on uh what your editor comes to you with in terms of edits in terms of contracts in terms of uh really anything marketing maybe uh i you know the i've been uh, burned by going with the flow i know a lot of other people that have been burned by going with the flow um so it's good to hear about people who didn't do that and stood up for themselves and made it work you know uh, hearing that that didn't immediately tank your career is incredibly valuable and when it comes to marketing well if you had a background like robin did in guerrilla marketing from self-publishing when we went in to talk at board meetings for advertising she was actually in educating them on how to do all kinds of stuff because they are still functioning in 1970 
And well, they were at the time. Yes. I mean, in, in, hopefully in, they've improved by now. In in, tw in 2010, in 2010, Orbit's marketing department was looking to me to educate them on how to sell to consumers because they were just used to selling to bookstores. Bookstores. Booksellers, yep. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how maybe much they that's still, Maybe that's still the case. I don't know. I, maybe it's still uh, the case. The UK side are a bit better selling to consumers, but I think the USA side, they're still bookseller markets, what it feels like. Yeah, bookseller yeah. and libraries a, a lot, mm -hmm. at least from, from what I've seen. Okay, so the next is a question. It's kind of a two-part question, so it, it might be another long one, but uh, go for it with whatever you, uh, you know, you've got on top of mind. So... You you know you said that going with Orbit and then Delray, uh, despite the obvious negatives that we've gone into, you've said that that was probably worth it because it expanded your reader base quite a bit. So what I'm curious about is what things you saw Orbit and or Delray do that worked in terms of getting you out there and and you know maybe what we who are early in our careers with traditional publishers could do to you know amplify our our uh success or our current situations with our publishers and and or i suppose you know what kinds of things did you do on top of what your publishers were doing for that traditionally published work that worked so i'm sorry but you're gonna have to give us like a novel that we can write to you because this is gonna take forever. No, it really is. I'm, I'm okay with that. Too. It, no, it won't take a long time. It, oh, you're okay. gonna try and no, 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 okay. it's, it's gonna take no time at all. Okay, so here's, so here's. It'll take me a long time, and it's gonna take you a ridiculously no. long time. Here's the thing, right? <laughs> yes, we were traditionally published, okay, but we did not, and. I do a lot of classes on, on, on people who want to go traditionally publishing. And yeah. a lot of people will tell me, Robin, the reason why I'm going traditionally publishing is because I'm not good at marketing and I don't want to market. So I'm going to traditionally publish because they're going to do that for me. How did I know you were going to go there? And I said, eh, wrong answer. Because, I mean, they really didn't do... Uh, yes, Delray sent Mike on a few, uh, you know, to a few conventions. Okay, and yes, they did give away a, a, a you know a fair number of signed copies at these conventions. Did that move the needle? I don't think Publishers so. Publishers are going to market two types of things: people who are making lots of money for them already, or people who they've earmarked who they want to make a splash. If you're not you. one of those two, then you're doing all the work, son. Yeah. Everything. Yep. If you want yeah. anyone to know anything about you it's going to be from you because you're the only one and you're the best person to sell your books. They're not going to. Right. They're going to try and sell your books in a nice catalog to a bookstore. Right. And that's it. And sometimes that nice catalog isn't all that nice either. And if you're really lucky, they might run some ads. And they might do some ARCs. Okay. So, so yes. So, oh. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of your listeners, you know, look at like Sunyi's treatment and go, wow, I'm really envious of what she got. And I look at Sunyi's, I look at what she got, and I'm like, I'm really envious of what you got. Um, you know, like, I, I, I went on your website, you have a effing press kit. <laughs> I mean, and, oh. there are, and, and there are all these 
quotes from all these authors, which they obviously, I, I, I'm going to assume that you did not contact these authors. I'm going to assume somebody else. I have no contacts. Have yeah, I made yeah. the press kit. I made the press kit, but they did all that work in it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, you know, I'm like, hey, publisher, why don't, you know, we're kind of like Brent Weeks. You know, why don't you get Brent Weeks to give us a quote? You know, why don't you ask well, so-and-so? This is, this is the really fun thing no. is that afterward, after I was a an Orbit published author, they came to me to do oh, endorsements yeah. of other authors. I'm like, what, who did you get from me? I yeah. don't remember this. Well, unless they just all turned <laughs> you down and they, you know, we don't know that. But But here's the thing, okay? When we went into this, what we were expecting to get from the publisher is exactly what we got, which is we got them to sign a contract so Mike could say he's a traditionally published author. The only thing I needed from them was to be traditionally published. Well, there was two he things. would be in the bookstores. That's it. Right? And 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 up and so but we did not rely on them to get the book noticed. Get them in the bookstores? Yes. Get them noticed? No. So we had to do all of that. Okay. So we did not. Let me, let me interject. Even though yeah. we did not know what they were going to do, it didn't matter what they were going to do because I was already taking care of everything else because I knew I had to take care of everything else. So, see, now you, you talked to them? What? I forgot what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, come to me. So, what we did, and it's going to sound really stupid, but it's what we did. Uh, so uh, we used Goodreads a lot, and we were very, very, very good at Goodreads. And literally, I'm not kidding you, I would, uh, every night, I would write little messages. So Mike's book, you know, if, if he had a comparable, I would say it's kind of like Scott Lynch's uh, Gentleman Bastards, because it's got kind of a bromance thing, and it's got humor in it, and, you know. So I would look for people who did, like, reviews of Scott Lynch's book and liked it. And I would write these little letters. Hello, I'm the wife of an author who has recently written a book. And it's very much like Scott Lynch. And since you like Scott Lynch's book, maybe you would like his. I would like to send you a copy of the ebook to see if you might enjoy it in the hopes of, not in exchange for, a review. And I sent out 20 of those every night. Every night I just did those. And Mike had a blog post once about like, you know, getting a career is like building a beach one grain of sand at a time. And that's still there. It's I saw it today. I was Did looking, you? Yeah, I was doing research for something. I found it again. So so here's the big secret about here's the big secret about publishing and becoming a successful author. There's only three steps. Really easy. Step one, write a really good book. Number two, get it in front of a few people. Number three, rinse and repeat. Now, let's go back. Let's define what a really good book is, okay? A really good book is defined as any book that somebody reads that they love so much that they tell someone else about it, okay? People wanna jump all over how terrible Twilight is. I'm sorry, everyone's recommending that book to everyone else, so by my definition, it is a good book. Mind right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Yep. And yep. and that's that's all you have to do. Now, as we all know, number one is extremely difficult, right? Yes. It is. It's very, very difficult. But if you do write a very good book, 
you just you got to get in the hands of a few people, you know, like some people, you know, and then oh, and, I remember what I was going to say. And then it will go. Yes. So the the key thing we discovered is that when you put it in front of like I don't know the actual uh, ratio anymore, but if you have like if you give your book to 100 people to read, of those 100 people, you might get 10 who will refer it to other people. All right? And they will be they won't just refer it to other people. They'll literally want to go around and cheerlead they're they're your cheerleaders as as the term goes Mm -hmm. you want to have someone who's cheerleading you of those 10 you'll get one who's a super cheerleader who literally believes it is now their life's work to make your books be universally read and if for every like 100 readers you get you will build that up but it has to be based on the fact that your book is so good that they feel it is necessary not just an idea, but absolutely necessary. They have to tell their friends to read this because if they do and they read it, they're going to look so good because they referred the really great book now. So that's what you need to do. So what did they do that they did right? They did the minimum they had to, which is they put it in the catalog and they put it in the bookstores and everything else was up to us. Well, all they needed Michael, them, Michael, by yeah. writing a good book and me by getting it in front of a few people. All I needed was to be able to tell people, because at, at the time in 2010, there were large swaths of the population who would not read a book if it was produced by a self-published author. Yeah. It was just, sure. They just wouldn't read it. So by getting that, I opened a huge door. But on top of that, I also, you know, all they needed was that credibility, and they opened that so a lot of more people were there, and then we just did the rest, and it worked. Here's, here's the other interesting thing uh, with Goodreads and interacting with Goodreads, because I interacted with people on Goodreads before you know, when Mike was self-published and then afterwards. And one of, so, you know, like one, one of the things that we didn't talk about, which we may or may not, we do a lot of direct selling. Like even our traditionally published books, we do a lot of direct selling, right? Read your contract. You can buy copies of your book at a 50% discount, buy those books, sell them, sign them, sell them directly. You make a huge margin on them. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> now you got me screwed up. So um, the interactions on Goodreads really changed because I still we we have a much a much closer personal contact with our readership than most authors do because most authors have the publishers between them they have the bookstores between them we we're very we're very tight with our readers and we foster that in all of our books it says. We'd really love to hear what you think. Send us an email, and Mike answers those emails. All right. I try. Yeah. Well, they get buried a lot of times, but but because because of this, and when I was interacting on Goodreads, like in the early days, it was like, not often, but every once in a while, I would get an e- email back, like, "Oh, you crappy self-published author, you know, stop reaching out to me, you know, unsolicited, blah blah blah, you know, crawl away and die," and I would be, "Oh, I'm so sorry I disturbed you." Thank you very much. And then Mike gets traditionally published. And the messages I would send would be exactly the way they used to be. And suddenly it's like, oh my God, oh my God, do you know what just happened? The wife of my favorite author actually actually wrote and said they liked my review on Goodreads. They read my review and they liked it. I can't believe that they actually took the time to say thank you for writing a review on Goodreads. This is like... My biggest day ever. And there was a night and day difference. Big difference. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure that answered the question. I don't even know the question. No, that that, that did what answer did the question. What did we do? <laughs> no, yeah, that that perfectly answered the oh, question. Short answer, and you should have asked me. They did nothing. We did everything. That's how I got to be a legend. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a running gig now. I'm sorry, you started it. No regrets. Uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, no, we, I, we sound bitter, but we're we're really not. I mean, we. We got out of traditionally publishing what we wanted to oh, yeah. get out of traditional publishing, and we've made I mean, traditional publishers millions of dollars in the process. We would do. I would do the exact same thing again. There's nothing I would have changed. Yeah. It, it's really weird because we knew nothing about publishing, even less than any of you people do. Because, oh, you guys wait, know wait, so wait, much wait, more. Because so much of more. the fact that we literally didn't research anything. Well, we and, <laughs> and there was no information to get. There was a couple of authors who talked, nothing much else. There was no books on this. There was nothing about self-publishing because it was just starting. So we had none of that information whatsoever to, to start with. You know, it, it's... We also lived in the wilds of Vermont where yes. there was no internet. And because the internet hadn't been invented yet, number one. And number two, the lot, nearest library was two, like four hours away, something like that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we had that thing. but we didn't know anything. So it was just really hard for us to figure this out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think going into it, knowing what it is and what you want out of it is more than most authors do and is more than most authors are equipped to do, right? And which is why we're, we're yeah, doing this. We're, we're trying to do what we can uh, to make sure people don't do what we did. And especially me, right? Like I, I certainly signed my deal starry-eyed, naive, thinking, okay. Yes. Yeah, so maybe it's a long shot. So but, we? uh you know, at least I have a shot here, right? But I, I certainly didn't understand and, and didn't know what it meant to be signing the deal that I was. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, she put me at a desk at bookstores and said, humiliate yourself for an hour here. Yeah. well, those and, were... and I would try and sell five books. But that did not move me. <laughs> I would try and sell five books and, and I would I would like get four of them sold. And I'm like, God, I'm really sorry that I did such a poor job to the owner of the store. And they would say, oh, my God, can you come back next week? You were fantastic. You sold four books. I'm like, wow, this is bar this... is painted on yeah. the floor. Yeah. The, yeah. The bar is really low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is interesting, right? The, the bar for, uh, I think we learned that in our bookseller uh, episode, uh, you know, just how yeah. many yeah. books moving. Yeah. How yeah. Few. Yeah. How, how few. few. <laughs> you know, represents a, a successful. We book. were, we were at a convention, uh, our first convention really. And we were at a table of a bunch of authors who were signing books and, and trying to sell them. And we were selling, God, like we were selling like maybe 10 a day, which was like, oh my God, this is like a waste of our time. And the person next to us is like, my God, you sold 10 books. You are a God. How do you do it? And we're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And it was just shocking because that person hadn't sold yeah. any. And they couldn't figure out how the hell am I selling? I'm like, well, for one thing, your book's $25. Yeah. <laughs> it was a paperback. Right. It was a very expensive like, paperback. That's part of it. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's really weird because it, it wasn't that hard. But when, when, when you have people telling you that if you sell anything, if you sell 10, it, it's fantastic. I'm like, well, this is just not what I want to be spending my time doing because it's when, when, the when, return on investment is nothing. When the call came in, uh, you know, for, for Mike to, when, when Mike decided, when Mike finally decided that he was going to actually publish this book, 
Because for years he would he, he swore he would not publish. I published all of them free online. Nobody, there wasn't even really online no one back even, then. No one even posted a comment though. That's so. Anyways, that's crazy. Uh, I said that's to funny. Michael when when I took over, you know, that I was going to try and like get him notice. I said, you know, how many readers will I have to pull in for you to feel like a success? And you said. What did I say now? I even I forgot. Something about, I said 50. 50 yeah. And, but, but the caveat was. There got to be people that never 50 knew people you. who are not friends or family or that we know personally. Yeah. yeah. And I said, I think I can do that. I, think I, I, can, I didn't think she could. I think I can get 50 people to do it. It was a <laughs> Sunny, do you have a question? To you. It wasn't a question. I was thinking we've discussed it before, but there, there is a big attitude difference, I think, in Trad and ND that when I used to hang out in indie communities, because I looked into indie a lot before going trad, and the indie authors go in with this expectation of we're going to build a career, we're going to make money, and we're going to have these goals. And in trad, a lot of people go in with this sense of hopelessness, like, oh, it's just a given that you won't make money, that it won't pay bills, that it's not successful, that you're automatically capped. Uh, and I, obviously it does pan out that way for a lot of people, but I think it doesn't help us to go in with that defeated mindset I don't know maybe I sound like a self-help guru <laughs> I think for me if I were to try and quantify to what the difference is is well, wait, in wait. trad let me do this yeah. before I forget in trad you're kind of you're putting your hands into the capriciousness of a system that you have no control over Right. Like, you know, you know, there was a time in traditional publishing where they just would not take urban fantasy, just period. Just everyone knew it. All the agents knew it. Like if you want to write urban fantasy, no, there was a time when if you were writing vampire books, you know, and I know I've been listening to book eaters. It's very good. And I'll, it's not really vampires, but it's kind of vampire adjacent, I guess. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know. Um, you know, there was a time where you could not publish a book if you did vampires. I mean, they just didn't want it. So, you, you know, you, you're kind of like, you're, you're putting yourself into other people's hands. Whereas self-publishing, if you fail, the only one you have to blame is yourself. But in traditional, people fail left and right and upside down, and it has nothing to do with them or their books or what they write or how they write is just they just missed some little small needle threading and it happens, right? And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to self-publishing is because if I fail, look, if Mike writes a bad book, you know, and it flops, okay, right? Like it's our fault, like boom, done. But in, in traditional, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just really like it just hit the right person on the right day and they were in the right mood. And Just to qualify what you were talking about capricious. earlier about the comparisons apples to apples, it's all too often people will compare books that have been accepted and are going to be published by a traditional publisher versus all, all self-publishing, self which is absurd because they're all essentially starting from the same position, which is aspiring writer trying to get published. And the number of people who are rejected from traditional should have to be accounted for is the number of people who are rejected from self by people who just don't read their books. Yeah, people, so. people take that, that, that top 1% and compare it to like, you know, the entire realm of self-publishing. And it really has to be 
all also to get back to what she was talking about going from uh indie to traditional i just remember that the i ran a a blog post she made me run a blog post in order to advertise myself and the post that got the most comments in the entire history of my blog was when i finally told my audience that i was going traditional and i had a ridiculous number of comments all hating me yeah i was i was told i was a sellout i was told that i lied to them i was told that i mean it was just just visceral hate throughout the whole thing and part of it was because i always released a book twice a year once in april and once in october and as a result of that the final book to the series was coming out that april and when I went traditional, that meant it was going to be a year before that book came out. And I suppose that had a lot to do with it. But a lot of it was, oh, you're a traditional or you're, you're a, you know indie published author. And now you're going to, you know, selling out. And I was like, selling out? Why do you care? <laughs> like, what, what difference does it make to you? But it was mostly, I think, because they had to be delayed in reading the book. But it was just really weird that there's that. So there's, you know, there, there's a, there, there certainly was a stigma. I don't know if there is anymore between jumping between one side and the other. So... Uh, we're coming up on two hours and we (laughs) will, we'll wrap it up with, uh, one last question and probably come back for more questions, both, uh, at least from my perspective, offline and online in terms of the podcast, most likely. But uh, our final question that we wanted to ask was whether you have some sense for, where the industry's going because you've been on both sides of it and what you would recommend for authors in terms of how they structure their career. And I I think we have some idea of of what you might say, but uh, do you feel capable of wrapping that in a little bow in terms of, you know, advice on how to structure a career these days? Uh So the, the first thing I would say is I think publishers, if I, if I were to kind of guess as to where things are going to go, I think they're going to be much more right scrabby than they have been in the past. You know, like first it was just print books and that was print books and ebooks and now it's print books, ebooks and audiobooks. I would not be surprised at all if in the future they're going to want, you know, foreign publication rights as part of the base contract. Okay. I, I just think they, they are tending to grab more. Okay. Um, I, th- I think everyone talks about the midlist shrinking. I think it's going to continue to shrink. I think it's, I, I think it's never been easy to be a midlist author traditionally. Um, I think it's increasingly harder. I think that there is some positives. I think publishing is, is finally waking up such that they are giving more attention to women writers. I think they're giving more attention to LBGTQ writers. I think they're giving a lot more attention to people of color. Um, I, think, I think those highly underserved authors in the past will de- are definitely getting more attention now. And uh, so I think that, that things look much brighter for them than it probably has any time before. Um, and I think it goes beyond just what's being acquisitioned. If you look at something like yeah. Goodreads, uh, Goodreads, uh, and I think Sunya, you you have a Goodreads Choice Award nomination. Mike has nine Goodreads Choice Award nominations. 
it used to be completely 100% based off of popularity. I mean, they looked at how many reads a, a book had, and it was kind of reader-based. And now it's curated. Uh, and when I look at the curation, I'm seeing a much better diversity in the representation um, than what we've ever seen in the past. If you look at the past three years, maybe, of Goodreads nominations, a lot more diversity that way. So I think, I think those are positive things. Um, I still think that it is a good idea to go traditional. I mean, with all the bad things I say about traditional, I think that, you know, we did it. We're not ashamed that we did it. We're not, uh, we don't feel bad that we did it. We don't regret that we did it. I think it's a really good learning experience for any author who is even going to be doing doing indie. You really should see how the big boys do it, just so you get an understanding of how that's done. Because... Without that, it's really hard to be able to approach what you're doing in the same kind of way, and that's what you kind of need to do. You need to be able to produce your books as good or even better than traditional publishers. And the only way you can do that is if you know how they do it. You know the type of people they're hiring to do editing, the type of people they're going to for covers, how they handle this, what their timelines are, you know, what their marketing ramp-ups are. All those things are great, and it's like going, and if you're an employee, you just got out of college, right? And you're going to get a job. Well, you don't start your own company. You don't become your, you don't hang out your shingle as a doctor. You go and work as an intern. You learn the process. You learn the business. And once you get done with that, then you hang out your shingle and you're going to be way ahead. All that said, I think that by and large, traditional publishing is very unfair to authors Mm -hmm. from a monetary standpoint. If you look at the type of money that they get and you look at the type of money we get, and we spend years writing books, they spend a couple of weeks editing the books and they're making the vast, vast, vast majority of the profit, right? On our audio rights, because they were sold as subsidiary rights, we get 3.5%, okay? And those have, have made tens of millions of dollars and we get 3.5%, I mean, it's, incredibly incredibly unfair um so and and as what people have you know what people always tell you is like don't go into writing if you want to make money because you know so few people do um on the self-publishing side uh i think it's a lot better than when we started Uh, when we started there was no one doing covers there was no editors there was no infrastructure. There were no ebooks. There was a lot more prejudice against it, but there were a lot less of them. Yeah, and and uh, and so for self-publishing, there's kind of a couple of different camps, right? So there there are a lot of self-published authors who I think uh, are running themselves to death because they have a tendency to put out many, many, many books as quickly as possible, mm. and yeah. I'm a little bit torn because when I look, if, when I, they're making very good money doing that, like very, very good money doing that. I would never recommend doing it that way. Um, I could never survive in that environment. Uh, I'm actually concerned about that. As I was mentioning earlier or to her, was that we now have chat GPT. Mm-hmm. And if people can write a book using that and submit that, these people who are relying on high volume I mean, if that takes them a week to write a book, which is ridiculous, imagine how long it takes for ChatGPT to write a book. Yeah. They would be flooded 
And there's going to, if you think there's a lot of them now, imagine how many there will be if people start using that as a tool. You can literally be submitting multiple novels a day. And if all the readers want is more books to read and they're not concerned about the quality, I'm really concerned because ChatGPT has probably got better quality than some of the traditional, or some of the indie authors. So they'd actually be pushing out all of those groups of people who are trying to do high volume sales. So, so I think, I think self-publishing is easier than when we broke into it. I think it's also got some hard aspects because, um, you know, now a lot of people are relying on ads in order to get their, remember what I said, write a good book, get it in front of a few, few people. I think right now what a lot of the self-published authors are doing to get it in front of those few people are buying ads. And uh, the problem I have with that is anything that's taking money out of the author's pockets is a problem for me. The amount of money that traditional publishers take out of my pocket is a problem for me. The amount of money that comes out of a self-published author's pockets for ads bothers me, right? Because it's you're just trading one master for another, right? You're, you're trading Amazon ads for publisher's take. And it just, it shouldn't work that way. I mean, we don't run ads. We never run ads. We don't have to run ads. Um, what hasn't changed, what will never change, is that people love stories. And if you write great stories and you get them in front of a few people, and you're not a beep online. You you can make you can make good living doing this, right? I mean, you know, don't 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 be a jerk. Be appreciative of the people who who allow you to live your dream because they buy your books, and just keep on writing. and And the other and the other thing is, you know, like like Scott, look, Scott, you are very early in your career, right? Like your first yeah. series, I mean, like I get the impression that you think, you know, your first series didn't go all that well, right? It's early, dude. It's really early. You know, like keep writing. Something else will catch. Then people will go back and pick up those old books and they'll like those books. And, you know, it's. My, my. It, you, you have a, you have long, you, you have many, many books in front of you. To, to don't, put, don't I appreciate sweat. That. Put a little positive Thank spin you. on this. Uh, I'm also fascinated by, there's always been in the past, people talk about being a writer. He was 47 when he first published. <laughs> yeah. People talk about writing as they always say, well, it's just like any other job. It's not. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think they've ever had any other job. I don't know of any other career in the world in which you get to be your own boss, get to do whatever you want, commute from your bedroom to your office, have, no, like I said, no boss, um, and they, you make good money but on top of all that, people write. You. People will write you and thank you for your book. I mean, who does that? I mean, I have. If you would even have like people pull you from a burning house, you probably aren't inclined to give them an email and say, "Who was his name?" I mean, people will go out of their way to thank you and send you gifts and say, "This is the most wonderful thing. You saved my life with your book." And like, and you know what? I didn't have to have any of that stress that comes from making a mistake and killing someone because I'm just writing a stupid story. But you get the appreciation, you get the money, you don't have to work all that hard. And if you're like me, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And I have and we get, and, and we get to be legends. a legend. We get to be legends. Yes, I mean, gee, yeah, I'm gonna trade that for, I'm not sure what other job, but. Yeah.
You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later. Thank you.